0: hi everyone my name is Nadia Osman and I'm a second year student at the University of Chicago
1: and my name is Domenica Ferdinando and I'm a first year at the University of Chicago and we welcome you to our first ever in the loop podcast
0: you're your hosts and we hope with this series to take a deeper dive into civic engagement and have productive conversations on the inner workings of government
1: Thanks, Nadia. I'm so excited to be looking at Illinois government and the 2020 election that will be happening in just two days.
0: Wow, two days? That's crazy.
1: I know, right? As many of you know, election security and infrastructure has been a widely discussed issue for this election cycle. With the pandemic significantly changing how many of us vote this fall, questions of how the state will handle the recent influx of mail-in ballots and whether Illinois is implementing protections against interference have been on the minds of many.
0: I know, it has certainly been on my mind. According to MSN News, more than 800,000 Illinois voters have already turned in their mail-in ballots, which is double the amount returned in 2016. These ballots are being counted toward the national election, the state election, and even city elections. Chicago, for instance, has a plethora of judicial positions that have to either be retained or removed. When I filled out my ballot, I was surprised by just how many positions in our government are affected by our votes.
1: Exactly. And that's why it's more important now than ever that election security and infrastructure is at its best to ensure that we are all entitled to our constitutional right to vote. This is why for our first episode, we will be focusing on how Illinois will be handling this issue. In 2016, Illinois actually suffered from one of the most high-profile attacks from Russian hackers on its voter registration system. Although Illinois has been attempting to strain its system for 2020, they have already run into a few problems.
0: I've heard. Chicago citizens have reported receiving notifications that they hadn't turned in their ballots when they did, and also received ballots that omitted a few races. To help us make sense of all of this, we have Darren Reesberg joining us. He's the Vice President of Programs and Strategy at the Joyce Foundation, which specializes in promoting public policy strategies that advance racial equality and economic mobility. In addition, their foundation has a focus on fair and free elections. He's also the Chairman of the Illinois State Board of Education. He was previously the Vice President for Strategic Initiatives and Deputy Provost here at the University of Chicago. He was also the Director of the Institute of Politics and now sits on the Institute's Board of Advisors. Hopefully we'll learn a lot from him and maybe feel a bit better about the state of our democracy, right, Domenica?
1: I sure hope so. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
0: Mr. Reesberg, thanks for being here.
2: It's a pleasure, uh, pleasure to be here um, uh, and uh, looking forward to speaking with you today.
0: Great. So first, let's get to know you. What is the Joyce Foundation and what do you do there?
2: Well, um, the Joyce Foundation uh, is a private foundation um, based in Chicago, um, and uh, we um, make about uh, fifty million or so dollars of grants per year. Um, our mission is to invest in public policies and strategies that advance. Racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. So um, our grant making is really focused, unlike some other foundations that uh, fund direct programs, our grant making is really funding systems change. Um, and we do that um, really in what we, as I said, the you know, refer to as the Great Lakes region. That's primarily Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. And we focus our policy grant making in five core areas. So one is education and economic mobility. Um, The next is environment, which encompasses both climate solutions and water issues. The third is gun violence prevention and justice reform. The fourth is democracy um, and democracy over the course of the past few years um, has really focused on uh, elections, fair elections, census and redistricting. And then the last is culture, um, and so, uh, you know, we've been um, in existence, the Joyce Foundation since 1948, um, and uh, we, we feel like we've, you know, really been able to through our, our, our work and in particular our grantees uh, been able to um, make some really important change in the policies of our region.
0: That's great. That's great. And the, obviously the democracy aspect of that. Will help in today's podcast. Um, and then another question What kind of initiatives are you leading as the chairman of the State Board of Education?
2: Well, so, um, you know, the Joyce Foundation is my um, actual day job, but in February of 2019, um, I was appointed by Governor Pritzker to serve as the chair of the State Board of Education. So, the State Board of Education, the board itself, is a nine member board appointed by the governor. Um, I used to work at the agency, so the State Board of Education um, Board uh, hires a state superintendent um, and has an agency of about 425 employees. I used to work there from 2005 to 2012, so I have a lot of familiarity um, with what the State Education Agency does. Um, since I've been on the board um, uh, from 2019, February 2019 until now, you know, we've worked on building out our strategic plan. Um, our our you know, uh, vision for the state is that each and every child is equipped uh, to make meaningful contributions to society and live life to its fullest pr- uh, potential. We have uh, three areas of focus um, in our strategic plan, um, student learning, uh, learning conditions, and elevating educators. And the through line throughout our work, both internally at the State Board of Education and externally in the field of education across the state um, is equity. So we have an equity statement um, and that really is uh, a lens through which we look at uh, all of the work in which we do. Obviously, um, the uh, uh, landscape of education has changed dramatically in the last six months due to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And so um, as a state board and an agency, we really are focused on trying to ensure that, notwithstanding all of the challenges that our school districts—we have 852 in the state um, notwithstanding all of the challenges that that uh, they're facing, um, we're trying to make sure that our students are being educated safely um, and um, and uh, with uh, you know the highest quality. Possible, um, among many other things, one of uh, the issues in which uh, one of the issues we're wrestling with um, is a severe teacher shortage in the state of Illinois. Um, a number of other states are suffering um, with this as well. This was the case before the pandemic, um, but given the fact that um, teaching has become even that much more challenging than it already was, and you have um, you know many teachers, uh, whether because of um, their age or uh, because of um, certain health conditions, and not in a position to be able to come to uh, the classroom, if and when that's uh, that's the case, um, we we feel like the um, teacher shortage will be even that much more exacerbated. So that's one of the major issues with which the uh, state board and the agency are wrestling this year.
0: Yeah, amazing! That's a lot of great work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Now- Because this episode is focused on election infrastructure and security in Illinois, let's start with the basics. Something that is at the forefront of this election is obviously mail-in voting. More people than ever are using this as a method of voting. So how exactly does it work in Illinois? Could you maybe give us a brief history of it?
2: Sure, Um, I'm very happy to be able to talk about this, especially so close to the election. Um, So mail-in voting uh, in Illinois is actually quite easy. While some states require voters to have an excuse in order to vote by mail, any eligible voter uh, can choose to vote by mail in Illinois. This year it's even easier because of COVID, the Secretary of State mailed every registered voter a vote by mail request form. You can also request a mail ballot online or by calling your Board of Elections. Here in Chicago, you go to www.chicagoelections.gov to apply for a mail ballot or to check in on the status of your application. Um, I just did that uh, yesterday just to be doubly sure uh, after receiving an email that my vote was counted and it's very easy just to check what the status of your mail-in ballot is. So voters are urged to apply early uh, to make sure you have enough time to receive and return the signed and sealed ballot return envelope on or before election day, which is obviously Tuesday, November 3rd, the absolute deadline to apply is 5 p.m. this Thursday, October 29th, but applying that late gives you very little time to receive and return the ballot return envelope by election day. Once you've received your vote by mail ballot, be sure to read the instructions carefully to avoid making any mistakes. Completed mail ballots can be returned by mailing it back or new this year by using one of the ballot return drop boxes, which is what I did. Drop boxes are available at the Loop super site um, at the early voting locations and wards around the city or you can look up what Dropbox is nearest to you at chicagoelections.gov. One last thing I'll just want to stress is not to wait until the last minute. Um, since there can be mail delays and election day is next week, any voter who's not mailed back their ballot yet would be better off using one of those drop boxes I mentioned or, vo- or, or voting early in person instead.
0: Right, right. And you know what's interesting is I was actually looking at a website that kind of graded each state's, um, election infrastructure, um, and Illinois interestingly had a B. And so I'm wondering if that has anything to do maybe with, um, there was obviously a big hack in 2016 that happened, um, in Illinois. And so uh, leading off of that, I'm wondering if, you know, if there's any kind of infrastructure that's in place to prevent any election tampering, um, And of course, we've been seeing recently that there are many groups creating fake ballot drop boxes so as to discount votes. And I'm sort of wondering, how is Illinois combating this issue?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked because a lot of people are understandably worried about election interference. Um, There are numerous checks built into the elections process to guard against unlawful interference. Um, Here are a few of the main ones. One of the best way to prevent voters from falling victim to schemes like fake drop boxes is public awareness. And there's a strong emphasis this year on communications to make sure voters have accurate information. If the public knows where to find official Dropbox locations or other voting information, then they're less likely to be tricked. That's why the Chicago Board of Elections has a photo on their website about what, you know, of an an actual Dropbox and what it looks like and where to find them um, and why voter advocates are helping to circulate that information Uh, Second, also, um, you know, once voters know the rules, they can help watch out for schemes and promptly report them. So election officials, voter advocates and cybersecurity uh, groups are also closely monitoring communications channels for false information so that it can be reported and shut down quickly. And you've probably heard that Twitter, Facebook Instagram, Google, and other platforms are taking voter information more seriously and removing false or misleading information about the election. Um, as for computer systems, like you referenced, after what happened in 2016, election officials have been working with Homeland Security and other cybersecurity experts to make election systems more secure, to regularly back up data and to improve monitoring so that any attempts to breach systems are quickly detected and stopped. Lastly, just want to stress that spreading false information about voting is a crime um, in every state. So when it's discovered, the consequences are are real.
0: Right, right. And I know that um, electronic poll books, poll books, sorry, are being used at stations. um, And I'm wondering how secure these really are and if there are any changes that have been made to these at all in the past few years.
2: Well, uh, yes, e-poll books are being used. Um, The Board of uh, Elections in Chicago made major upgrades to its election security uh, systems across the board to make sure voters' information and their votes are secure. That means not only upgrading to more secure equipment with better backups, but also upgrading the secure private networks. So voting equipment and uh, electronic poll books run um, on completely separate private networks with no access points to or from The public internet, which helps, uh, of course, significantly in terms of any potential security breaches.
0: Mm -hmm. And are all the polling stations standardized? Like, do they all follow the same set of rules, and do they all have the same access to the equipment?
2: Well, for the most part, yes. Um, Every every state has its own election laws that govern how elections are to be run in that state. Some states then delegate to local election boards how to implement those rules in their jurisdiction. So, for example. State law establishes that we can have early in-person voting, but it's up to the Chicago Board of Elections to identify where those early voting locations should be set up. For anyone voting in Chicago, both the early voting locations and Election Day polling places will follow the same rules and have the same equipment, which this year also includes public health protections due to COVID, such as social distancing and hand sanitizer.
0: Of course, of course. Um, and I kind of want to transition a little bit here, as you may know, voters around the country have faced long lines, some as long as 11 hours I've seen. So are there any new developments in infrastructure that will help combat these delays in voting? And if not, how long do you expect the lines to be in Illinois?
2: Well, it's, it's hard to predict exactly how long the lines will be in and where, because it depends on turnout um, and when voters choose to show up. Um, I've seen, you know, even early voting. Um, certainly, I saw this in Wisconsin. Um, you know, long, long lines, and as it starts to get colder and colder, you can imagine that potentially dissuading people from staying in those lines. Um, mm-hmm. High turnout elections, especially presidential elections, are more likely to experience lines. That said, there are ways to avoid lines. Um, that's why voters are encouraged to vote by mail or go to early voting uh, during off-peak times. Uh, election officials have tried to set up and staff polling locations so that lines move quickly. Voter advocacy groups are encouraging voters to make uh, a plan to vote and be prepared in case there are lines. So just making sure you go on uh, a day and time that you're able to wait and you wear comfortable shoes. Um, All of these types of uh, pieces of advice that voter advocacy groups, uh, many of which we at the Joyce Foundation fund, um, you know, really do make a difference um, because, uh, you know, every, every person online um, uh, and, and who stays online, um, you know, adds to uh, the participation in democracy. Now in Illinois, um, it may not be the case that the, um, you know, election um, for uh, the president will necessarily be a close one, but obviously in many of the other states that the Joyce Foundation um, uh, uh, makes uh, grants, um, you know, are the proverbial battleground states. So, um, I think the Midwest is very much in, uh, in the eye. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're just very happy at the Joyce Foundation to be able to provide support in those states.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting because you'd think that with more people doing mail-in voting, there would be, the lines would be shorter, but for some reason we're not seeing that. Um, I, I just thought that that was like interesting to point out, but, um,
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some of it is, um, you know, concerns that people are hearing about, um, you know, the U.S. Postal Service and feeling concerned about whether or not their mail-in ballots will, in fact, make it to where they're supposed to go. Um, And, uh, you know, I think some people, you know, who have historically just voted in person, you know, are feeling like that's what they're most comfortable with. But yes, I think, you know, um, uh, the groups uh, and election uh, officials are really doing what they can to try to or have done what they what they can to try to push mail in mail in voting, because that does relieve a lot of that pressure and stress at the ballot box on Election Day.
0: Yes, definitely. I can attest to the fact that mail in voting for me was pretty stressful. I kept checking when it was going to be there. Um, and there is definitely something satisfying about going to the polls, um, being there in person, uh, marking off the little bubbles and all of that. Um, so I off of that point, uh, something that's always kind of interested me is the placement of polling stations, because I think this is definitely a topic that tends to be overlooked. And so I was wondering who exactly decides where they're placed and what goes into this decision.
2: Sure. So that's decided by the local board uh, of elections and a bunch of factors go into the decision about where to locate polling locations, the size of the space. Is it available for the entire day and set up beforehand? Are there enough power outlets to plug in voting machines? Is it close to transit? Is parking available? ensuring enough locations accessible to different parts of of the city. And this year, they had to look for spaces uh, that were obviously big enough to allow for social distancing. So what was always a complicated uh, process became, you know, a bit more complicated this year. I know um, the polling location in my ward closest to my home um, in the West Edgewater neighborhood of Chicago switched This year for the first time in a long, long time, Mm. uh, precisely for the reason that the uh, existing uh, polling location or the previous polling location just wasn't sufficient to have meaningful social distancing.
0: Mm. And, And I would think that those changes could confuse voters. And would that have any effect on voter turnout?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think that, you know, the um, election administrators have been doing all they can um, to get the word out of any of these changes. Um, I've seen, you know, um, on social media, uh, you know, in, not just from the election officials themselves, but I think they've reached out to neighborhood groups and the like. So I'm on a neighborhood group on Facebook, and there was information about the polling change. But it, you know, any changes in the midst of um, the election season, I think, creates risks that people will be confused because people, you know, have a lot on their mind, and you know, very well may miss it. So um, yes, I think um, that is a risk.
0: Right. Um, and how do the placement of polling stations affect voter turnout?
2: Well, the biggest factor that, uh, you know, impacts turnout is whether there's a competitive race. Um, mm-hmm. But how accessible voting is can, you know, also be a factor, which is why early voting has ward sites around the city and neighborhood polling places on election day. So I think the, the city here has done you know good job in ensuring that there really are um, a, you know, a significant number of these voting um, polling locations and that there were a significant number of early Voting locations.
0: Mm-hmm. As we've been discussing, mail-in ballots have become a critical component of election infrastructure. As statistics have shown, historically minority groups are less likely to vote by mail due to systemic oppression and are intending to vote in person to avoid such challenges. What measures has Illinois discussed in the past and going forward to address this issue?
2: You know, I'd actually flip it around and look at this issue in a different way. We need to recognize that our country has a long history of systemic voter suppression directed at Black voters and other communities of color. Instead of focusing on how to push communities of color to embrace male voting, or for that matter, to conform uh, to other views about voting, we should let go of that top-down mentality and make the process more community-inclusive. We should focus on ensuring we have voting options that are respectful of traditions within different communities and voter mobilization messages that are culturally relevant. There's a reason that Parade to the Polls and Souls to the Polls events are so successful because they're community driven. If we want inclusive and equitable election systems, we should be offering a range of safe, secure, accessible voting options so that voters can choose what option is best for them. And if we do want to encourage in a respectful way more voters to consider using mail voting, Then we need to include those community leaders input in planning from developing messaging and outreach to where to have drop boxes.
0: And I'd love to have you give some advice to our listeners on voting. So how do you suggest people go about voting if they're voting in Chicago? So if it's mail-in voting, what kind of resources can they use to research the candidates? Because when I was going through the list, I was kind of overwhelmed by how many names there were on the ballot. Um, And then I was wondering, should they mail it with USPS or put it in about Dropbox and if it's in-person voting, what time should they get there to avoid long lines?
2: Well, we, we definitely, and I've said this, I know um, multiple times already, but definitely encourage voters to vote early uh, more so than ever. So don't wait, the sooner the better. If you were already applied for your mail ballot, fill it out and take it to a Dropbox so that you know it's received on time. And if you haven't applied for a mail ballot, uh, I would say go to one of the early voting locations Uh, Peak times tend to be weekends, evenings, and lunchtime, Uh, so try uh, to go other times if you can. If those are the only times that you can go, you need to make sure to give yourself enough time in case you do have to wait um, so you're not late for school or work, Uh, get a sitter for your kids if you need one, Um, let your dog out before you leave, wear comfortable shoes as I mentioned earlier, all these things matter so you don't unexpectedly feel like um, after waiting in line you have to cut out before You actually get that opportunity to vote. The nice thing about going early uh, is if the line is too long um, you can come back another time if you wait until the last day to vote obviously then you're stuck and you have to wait in that line if you want to make sure your vote is counted. Um, Your question about where to find information is a really good one. Um, One of my go-to's is the League of Women Voters Voter Guide which provides nonpartisan candidate information without endorsements so you can make up your own mind. Um, you can find their voter guide at IllinoisVoterguide.org. Um, newspapers like the Chicago Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune and news stations like WTTW also provide information on candidates, as do many interest groups. Uh, for students voting in other states, you can find information about what's on uh, your state's ballot at BallotReady or Ballotpedia or Vote411.org. Um, I think it's important also to think about information on judges. Um, That's often the part of the ballot that most people sort of throw up their hands, but it's really important. Um, And so bar associations often make recommendations as to whether a judicial candidate is qualified or not. Um, WTDW that I referenced earlier has uh, compiled recommendations from local bar associations, the Chicago Bar Association or the Chicago Council of lawyers or the Illinois uh, State Bar Association. And Injustice Watch um, has a judicial voters guide with additional information on judicial candidates. Um, It also can be helpful to see if organizations you respect endorse certain candidates, such as um, if uh, an environmental justice group endorses certain candidates for the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District. Um, That might be something that gives you um, a sense of of which direction to go on those votes. Um, So that's an overview. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, do, I do, I can't stress enough that it's, um, important to take the time in advance to really, uh, do your research, um, so that you're fully comfortable, um, as to what you want to do with respect to the entirety of the ballot.
0: Yes, of course. And thanks so much for that plethora of resources. That's really helpful. No, <laughs> um, no yeah. And then finally, since I'm going to change topics a little bit here, but since you sit on the board of education, Um, and as you know, in the loop is interested in the state of Illinois civics class requirement for K through 12 schools. Can you tell us a little bit more about this requirement and what do you think can be improved?
2: Well, I think that, um, you know, the uh, state of Illinois has made, I think, particular advances as compared to other states across the country in that it does have a civics requirement, not only in high school, but in middle school. Um, I think it's really important that students are understanding, um, you know, the uh, sort of civics landscape as early as possible so that they can figure out um, as early as possible how and where they want to engage. Um, You know, so what do I feel like, you know, could be um, areas for improvement? I think like many, um, you know, other uh, areas of education here in the state, you know, it would be helpful you know, for the state board of education, our board and agency, to continue to offer um, a significant range of um, of resources that have been validated um, and have gone through you know a certain level of con- of quality control, so that we can actually put those out across the state for school districts. As I said, 852 school districts for them to be able to use those resources in their classroom, and that we help support meaningful professional education, professional development for our educators across uh, the state so that they're best prepared to be teaching um, students about uh, uh, civics um, in a way that um, emphasizes equity um, and ensures that the students are um, really inspired um, to be able to engage. Um, so that's um, what I, I know we all we all hope at the State Board of Education um, we can do. I think, you know, the fact that, you know we have more and more of our educators and students across the state becoming more familiar with remote learning, more comfortable with it, um, even if it's not ideal in all circumstances, does um, offer, I think, some hope that, you know, uh, students who may be in, Um, More rural areas across the state where there may not be, um, uh, you know, as many civics teachers available to be teaching in their their school districts would have the ability to be able to access curriculum um, uh, through remote means. And so, um, you know, that's something that we're we're certainly uh, hopeful about a a silver lining, if you will, of uh, what's been a terrible situation overall with the pandemic.
0: Yeah, of course. And you shine the loop is really looking forward to getting to work on that um, in the future. So Mr. Riceberg, thank you so much for being here. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me.
2: Um, Well, it's, um, it's my pleasure. And um, I just would love to uh, uh, say that, uh, you know, um, I wish everybody listening here will uh, sign up to stay uh, in the loop. Uh, on federal, state, and local politics at voices.uchicago.edu backslash in the loop. Um, and again, this is Darren uh, Reesberg. I was uh, uh, at the University of Chicago for uh, seven years from 2012 to 2019. Um, it's uh, a very special place uh, for me and the fact that um, students that um, are spearheading the in the loop program um, are so thoughtful in terms of bringing to uh, the community both on campus and off uh, issues around civics um, and uh, civic engagement um, is really impressive. So I just want to thank all of you for your great work.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you to everyone for listening to our first episode. We're excited for this series and we hope you are too. Episodes are released once a month.
0: Yes, you all are champs for making it this far. Also, a note. I don't know about you, Domenica, but this election is going to be nail biting for me.
1: Oh, it's going to be nail biting for everyone.
0: Right? It's great to be invested in the election, but with that in mind, make sure you're pausing once in a while to take a step back and breathe.
1: And with those wise words, that ends our show. For you Shine the Loop, I'm Domenica Ferdinando.
0: And I'm Nadia Osman. See you in December.